welcome back everyone to another episode of Once Upon a Phrase. I'm your host Jason. And your other host Lisa. Before we get started, just another reminder, if you're on Instagram, give us a follow at Once Upon a Phrase. Also, don't forget after listening to this episode to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with our weekly content. And before we get started, just want to thank our sponsors, LT Elite Tax Service. Give them a call for all of your tax, accounting, and financial consulting needs. You can give them a call at 773-481-2401. Even if you're not in the Chicagoland area, they can do almost everything online. So give them a buzz. All right, listeners. So today's episode, in honor of Valentine's Day that just passed, is going to be all about love. Yay, Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's your favorite holiday, right, babe? Oh, holiday. We're, we're just using that word very loosely now, huh? I mean, the Hallmark holiday, right? Hallmark holiday is right. Um, but yes, this week was about love. Love was on all of our minds. So let's hear it. Lisa, you want to get us started? What phrase did you just love enough to put in this episode? So our first once upon a phrase is to carry a torch. Have you heard of this one before? Um, I want to say yes, but also every time I think of carrying a torch, I just think about the Olympics. Yeah, that's probably the more literal way of thinking of it. Um, but to carry a torch is to still hold a place in your heart or like love someone after the, the relationship has ended. Thirsty. This is called being thirsty, right? Is that what the kids are saying? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it is. You thirsty. All right. But thirsty can be for something you haven't, you don't have. Not something you already had. Okay. It could be both. But tell us more about this. All right. So, to carry a torch for all of our listeners, like I said, it's to kind of still be head over heels or in love with something and wanting it even after no longer yours. So, just like a lot of our once upon a phrases, um, this one comes back. This one goes, dates back to ancient Greece and Rome. It was said that when uh, people would get married, the woman would have a torch made from hawthorn twigs, and they would light it in the bride's home, and it would be carried from the bride's home over to the groom as a way of like connecting the two families together. Okay, I think we see some of this now. Um... I don't know if any of our listeners have ever been to a wedding where they light like a candle together. Right. The the bride and the groom come up, they light the candle and they take a the unity two candle yes. or something. Okay. Unity ceremony. Yeah. So, I, wa- I wonder if this derived from the carrying the torch thing. Probably um, a little less of a fire hazard, I would say, than carrying a huge torch around. You know, the candle's a little easier to manage. Maybe, but I also think once people started moving into big cities. You can't exactly walk from the bride's home to the venue anymore, uh, especially not if we're if you're from where we're from. I don't know where most of our listeners are from, but in the Chicagoland area, it's only a couple months where you're walking outside very often. Right. At least the candle ceremony, you can bring the candles and use like a lighter and all can be done within an indoor facility. Sure. Um, so another thing is, did you know that with that same torch? Like we do the bouquet, they would throw it into the crowd. And if you were to have said, caught the torch, you were granted a long life. Hold on. 
Just let me get this straight. They were throwing fire at people? I guess, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a long pause for a yes, right? I mean, saying it out loud sounds quite strange. But this was before they had the bouquet toss. I guess flowers were not of... Uh... Not as available, so the torch was what they used. Flowers have been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> they, they were available. They just wanted to throw fire. I wonder if the husband, the new husband, ever wanted um, to throw the torch. You know, not all husbands love their wives' friends. So maybe they'd like the opportunity to throw a flaming torch at them. And then, oops, and yes. see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that ran across their minds for sure. I, I just... Really quick before we move on, I just like that every generation likes to call the generation after them soft. You know, like every you know millennials think Gen Z, or you know, and baby boomers think of this. Oh, because I know my parents they used they used to give you the whole spiel like, well, I walked barefoot, sure, you know, six you miles back and forth. Blah in the blah snow. blah. No, yeah. Everyone thinks the generation after them is soft. Um, they used to throw fire at people at weddings. Um. Everything after that is soft, okay? I don't care. <laughs> we gotta get, give it to the ancient Greek and Romans. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't care if you're a boomer, a millennial, Gen Z, Y, whatever. If uh, you're not throwing fire, you're soft. <laughs> All right, so another possible origin for this was it dates back to ancient Rome. Um, are you familiar with the Greek myth of Persephone and Demeter? Yes. Okay. So this refers to the Roman version where uh, Ceres, which is the version of Demeter, is searching for her daughter, uh, Proserpina, after she was taken by Pluto, or in the Greek myth, Hades. Yeah, so just really quick to clarify in case um, some of our listeners don't know, the myth is, you know, Persephone uh, was taken away by Hades um, to the underworld, and Demeter, her mom, is the goddess of harvest, and something like she eats six beans while she's down there. Or... The the one I listened to for my kids, uh, she eats pomegranate seeds. Okay, something like that. But because she ate from the underworld, she can't leave. So Hades and Demeter strike up a deal where six months out of the year, she's down there with him. Six months out of the year, she's up in Mount Olympus with mom. And essentially, this is the Greek myth that explains seasons and growing. Demeter's the goddess of harvest, so when her daughter's away during the winter months, uh, she doesn't allow anything to grow. But so, how does that relate to the carry the torch thing? So after she realized that her daughter had been taken, she walks around with a torch, very upset, trying to find her. So like carrying a torch for something she had lost. Oh, okay. Which is. If you've lost a lover, you know, you still carry a torch for them. Right. A little bit different in that sense because it's not um, someone that you are romantically involved with, but more of like, you know, a love for a family member. But Well, love is love. You know, you're mm -hmm. still searching for something. Right. I get it. Okay. That was pretty interesting. Um, also, so going back to ancient Rome, when, just like when the, during the wedding ceremony, when the bride would light the torch and it would go from one place to another, when the bride dies, they light a torch, and the torch goes from the home to the tomb. And presumably, at that point, if the husband's still alive, he's probably the one carrying that torch. Okay, so that connection, I like. That connection, you know, I understand a little bit better. There's, 
is now you've actually lost somebody. Right. So now you're carrying that torch and, you know, from the wedding day, you know, you carry. Okay. Oh, I like that. So one last little thing of information that I found was, have you ever been to the bar and heard someone ask for a torch song? Is that a song that's just straight fire? You could still say that. Is that a thing? If you're listening to this and you're younger than I am, do kids say straight fire? Is that now what a torch song is? No, a torch song represents um, love ballads. Okay, I know what a love ballad is. Talking about some poison? Eh? Every rose has its... Oh, I'll stop. I guess if we're going 80s, sure. (laughs) Okay. I think of like Casey and JoJo. We are very different people. <laughs> I went Poison, and you went Casey and JoJo? I'm thinking of Save the Last Dance. I can't think of the name of the song, but you know what I'm talking about. If I tell you the about. name of the song, will you sing it for everyone? Will you sing them your torch song? Hard pass. Okay. Listeners, you just have to use your imagination. I don't know. You've got your own mic. You can do it. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anyone's eardrums. We're good. By the way, this is what our son does when he comes down here, is we keep the mics set up, you know? He sits down, and he grabs the mic, and he just starts singing. And he doesn't know nothing's on and nothing's being recorded, but he loves to sing. Very much so. I'm sure he'll make a guest appearance at some point in the season. Yes. All right, so, Jason, what do you got for us next? So this one I couldn't resist. When we decided to do a love-themed episode, I thought to myself, all right, let's at least make it interesting and not too sappy. And I came across this once upon a phrase. That is the old ball and chain. Oh, I don't like this one. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of women out there that do like the old ball and chain reference. Haven't you called me that before? I do not call you my old ball and chain. I, I call you my old lady. Oh, mm. yeah, that one's just equally as bad. Which That's one's like worse? A... No, if you had to pick, which one's worse? Would you rather be referred to as my old lady or my ball and chain? So, listeners, both of them really suck, to be honest. Um... But I feel like old ball and chain makes me feel like I'm, like, dragging you down with me. But the old lady one makes me sound like I'm old, like an old decrepit person. Oh, see, it's a sign of respect. Yeah, I don't like the word old, though. Maybe it's not okay. <laughs> that's fair. Maybe that's just something I But I guess, I you know, the lesser of two evils there, I guess I would have to choose my old lady because at least it doesn't sound as demeaning to me sure. as the other one. Okay. But go ahead. Tell us what this means. All right. Well, I would never call you the old ball and chain. The literal meaning is, you know, it's a ball and chain. It's a restraint. It's something holding you back. And this was, you know, from the 18th century related to prisoners, right? All the way up until the early 1900s, they would literally put a ball and chain on prisoners. I think I've I've probably seen that in, like, old movies we watch. Yeah, I mean, any movie. like, chained together? Yeah, chain gang. And they're, they're like, digging ditches or busting up rocks Mm, or something. Okay, okay. Um, any movie where there's, and they're wearing the stripes, you know, but yeah, so it literally refers to a ball and a chain, usually around your ankle and it's holding you back. It's stopping you from advancing. It's stopping you from going anywhere. Um, and that term began to not be used to refer to your wife or your girlfriend, but an actual like bad habit, maybe sometimes self-inflicted that was literally holding you back. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it was usually something self-induced, like uh, drugs or drinking or gambling or like a fear of, you know, heights or, you know, whatever. But, yeah, so for a long time, they would use 
the term ball and chain to describe something like that. Like, you know, you wouldn't be able to you know, buy a house because you, you gambling is your old ball and chain. You know, it's, it's you're wasting your money at the casino. You know, that would be a ball and chain, like a bad habit stopping you from progressing in life. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I know that's not how we commonly know it now, which you'll explain, but I think that version of it really makes a lot of sense because so, it's like literally yeah. something holding you back, holding you down. So I love that version. I, you know, and so it, it was in the 1920s. We start to see it pop up in fiction work. Okay. And yeah, and then they probably just to make a joke or to be funny, they started referring to their wife or girlfriend as the old ball and chain. And then that's what caught on. And we've seen that in our past episodes. Like once some sort, once some form of media gets a hold of it, whether it be a newspaper or a TV show or a book, you know, once that catches on, that's kind of what it means from there on. But just, you know, orally, and when people say it, sometimes you see these phrases take on a lot of other meanings and used a lot in, you know, different scenarios. But yeah, so, you know, fiction writing got a hold of it in the 1920s. And, you know, that's all she wrote. It was, it was about the wife you know, physically holding somebody back. But I'm with you. I like using it to refer to not the wife. I like using it to refer to a bad habit, you know, drinking, drugs, gambling, you know. Those are things that actually stop you from progressing in life. No, I definitely agree. Do you think you have a ball and chain? Um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. Um, this is because, and I mean, this is probably going, you know, a little too deep into this. Um, I pride myself on not letting things hold me back. If I thought something was actually holding me back, I would fix it or try to fix it or work my way around or something. Right. You know? You're a very, very logical, yeah, kind of you straightforward know, person. You know, you pick, if, fix the puzzle pieces as if you... I, yeah, if I thought I had a gambling a problem place. or a drinking problem or a fear of something mm-hmm. and it was stopping me from being a good man, a good husband, a good father, a good teacher... I like to think I would fix it. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't things that hold me back. I know I can get, um, I can get in my head about some things. I'm trying to think of that fantasy football. Oh boy, I'm, I'm I get a few months off from that. But go ahead and tell us what about this. <laughs> I, I admit that's probably my ball and chain. I get consumed during the season, um, and you know I get stuck on players, and I don't want to you know draft these players or I will only draft these players or I won't cut somebody and uh, God forbid I lose. Lisa knows what that's like. It's it's literally I mean to be as frank as possible. It's like losing someone. Like a death. I carry a torch for that. <laughs> like it's you just know when those things happen like he's going straight to bed. We're not talking. We're not discussing anything. He mopes around. I'm getting better, though. But, yeah, I would probably say <laughs> losing um, or fantasy football in general is my old ball and chain. Sometimes it, it stops me from moving on. <laughs> but I guess it could be worse, right? Yes, if, I, if, it definitely could be. There are other habits that you could have that could be a little more um, more, a, more of a concerning ball and chain sure. for sure. Um, but uh, I'm going to ask all the listeners right now, um, let's move away from the wife thing. Um, as I'm going to say it cause it's what I believe, like women don't hold you back. Your wife's not holding you back. Your girlfriend's not holding you back. 
is other stuff. I want to use that phrase for other things. I want to start, you know. Let's, let's, let's bring back the phrase from the 19, what, 20s? Pre-1920s. Pre-1920s, Yeah, from the okay. 18th century up until. Let's you know, bring that one back, listeners. Yeah, where we start referring to bad habits as our ball and chain, not our women. All right, Lisa, you're up. All right, so our third once upon a phrase is to go Dutch. Are you familiar with this one? Oh, I am. Me and Lisa, um, we've been teaching the same amount of time, and we're on the same contract, and we make the same salary, so we go Dutch a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's how progressive I am. That's just because we've accumulated a lot of expenses over our years together, so it would be too much for one person to cover them all. It's true. For those who don't know, explain. What is going Dutch? So for all of our listeners, to go Dutch is to pay your own way or like split the bill, essentially. So this kind of started off with a different definition. So a little bit of a history lesson that Jason, as our historian, can help us out with. So it dates back to the 1600s. Um, The British and the Dutch would fight over political boundaries. Everything. The word you're looking for here is everything. A lot of drama. Yeah, trade routes, politics, borders, war, everything. Okay, so the British didn't take a liking to the Dutch, and I'm sure the Dutch didn't take a liking to the British. So the British kind of labeled the Dutch as being, like, stingy, and just they used the word Dutch as false. So this probably explains why that phrase kind of carried over to America. And how we talk because I mean we're descendants of the British, you know, okay. we're their colonists, and right. they all came over here. So their their hatred towards the Dutch probably came with them. That makes sense. So yeah, it used to mean false. So on one way they used to word they used to use the word Dutch was to refer to when getting ready for battle. A lot of times you'd be at like the local bar or something beforehand, and some soldiers would drink. To kind of get that courage to be able to, you know, participate in battle. So they used to call it Dutch courage. I think we still have that today, except it's called liquid courage. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily going into battle, but when you're at the bar and you see, you know, you see a good looking person on the other end of it and you need to go work up the courage to get a phone number, get a little liquid courage inside you. That makes sense. Yeah, I didn't think about that until now. That's, that's what we use today, right? So, yeah, they used that, but as of 1914, the word uh, going Dutch referred to the cost of something being split. So, it kind of just changed over time. Yeah, I wonder how many couples actually go Dutch. Um, Obviously, for, you know, lots of reasons, you know, traditionally, it's the man that pays for a lot of things. Um, Lisa, imagine... We're not together, you know, you're same age, same person you are now, just you happen to be single. Would you be offended if you were on a date and a man asked you to split the bill? Be honest. See, I guess on like a first date, I think it's, I feel like it's just a gentleman thing to pay. But I think with this new day and age, I think it's also depending on the circumstance and who asks who out. Because if I, I mean, because we're modern now, if I ask the guy out, I can't expect the guy to pay the whole bill because, like, I invited him out for a date. Where I feel like if the guy invites me out, then I guess there's just history of guys paying kind of just comes into play. But I guess 
again, I'm I'm not in the dating world. I know it's a crazy scene out there. And yeah, we both have been out of the game for a long time. <laughs> but it's just, I think, maybe from movies or TV shows or friends stories, the expectation of when the guy foots the whole bill, that sometimes women feel like there's an obligation to do other things because because the guy took you out. And I think that if I was a single woman right now, I would probably be fine with paying my own way or at least part of my way just so that I felt like I had the control Did, over. Yeah, you, you didn't have that expectation afterwards. Right, I didn't feel like, well, I, ha- well, I should. He paid for everything, you know? Not that I would put myself in that situation, but I think that expectation or that thought would never even cross my mind or nor his because we paid our own way. Yeah, I guess going Dutch, you know, kind of eliminates that obligation or that worry afterwards. I guess I'm still just wondering, like, who would reach for their purse still? Like, maybe you wouldn't be offended if a guy was like, yeah, you just want to go halves. You know, we have the same thing. Yeah, I would bet there's a lot of ladies out there that would, you know, pop out their credit card and willingly go half, no questions asked. Right. I guess I'm wondering how many women, when the check is set down, would reach for their purse first. Not to pay, but with the expectation that I'm that I'll pay my half. I guess, do you get what I'm saying? That not not be okay when asked to pay their half, but, but like not willingly offer it up first. See, I don't, I honestly, I don't think that money would be doing that. And I feel like if it might be a situation, like if you like the guy and you're having a good time, the guy's like, hey, let's put it, you know, down the middle. We both had drinks. We both had food. I'm sure the woman in that moment, be like, all right, like, obviously, what is she going to do? Argue with the guy? She'll pay her half. But I can't say that as a woman, if that was my girlfriend that was out on a date like that, that I would get a phone call afterwards. Like, can you believe what just happened? Like, after the fact, I don't know that she she would be okay with it. This is what I was talking about at the beginning of the segment. That deep-seated hatred for that word Dutch. Because <laughs> we're descendants of the British. They made us hate them. Um, when the Netherlands is a beautiful place, we should love them. We should not use that word. To, to mean something that's going to have you call your girlfriends afterwards upset. <laughs> I honestly think we've discussed this before outside this podcast, but I think it just goes back to like the gender roles that have been established for so long that even though as we work to kind of modernize them, you know, because in a lot of households, both the man and the women are working, or in some, the man stays home. Have you seen the price home. of groceries lately? What household can't have <laughs> both people working? So Jesus, I think, but, like but I think, for I think somewhere deep seated, women still still feel the need to be wined and dined. And I feel like in some cases, as a man, like how would you feel if let's flip the script? If you were single right now and you were on a date, would you feel comfortable asking the asking your date to split the bill? Not a chance. I would I would still feel obligated to pay. Right. So it's it's just if I asked or if why she do you asked, feel obligated? A hundred and uh, 200, 500 years of, you know, conditioning suggests that I should pay. Right. And that's the same with women. Like, we're conditioned that we get taken out. Like, you go to the bar, and how many women have gone to the bar and just know if they dress real cute that they're going to get some guy at the bar to buy them a drink? They just expect that to happen. Actually, I went out last weekend, and right when I walked in, uh, my, my friend, who's a girl, she bought me a drink. Ooh. It felt nice. <laughs> what were you wearing? <laughs> a hoodie. <laughs> um, all right. 
so yeah, as always, it's probably a little deeper than we intended to go on that. But I, I do think that the idea of going Dutch is becoming more normal. Like you were saying, gets rid of the expectation, gets rid of the obligation. Um, and especially after you get out of dating, once you're a, a long-term couple, you know, like we are, we've been married for a long time and we've dated, you know, even longer. Uh, we just split everything just because, I don't know. We just do. I mean, it's. Well, I feel like we're at that point, I mean, most couples are when they've been together as long as we have, that it just becomes a comfort level. In order to live the life that you feel comfortable living, one person can't no, pay for uh, everything. And I know we've mentioned it before. We're both public school teachers. <laughs> Neither of us can afford a comfortable life on our own. We need each other. <laughs> now I know why you won't leave me. Okay, you need my money. Got it. Yes. <laughs> you all heard it here, listeners. All right, so Jason, bring us home. What do you got for us? Okay, so my last once upon a phrase um, doesn't have anything to do with love, actually, but it does have the word heart in it. So I thought it would be appropriate with Valentine's Day um, having just passed. And that is the phrase, eat your heart out. So it's the first word that comes to mind when you hear the phrase, eat your heart out. What do you think of? So when I think of that phrase, I think of watching all of like the 90s, 2000s, teenage like tv shows and there's usually like a door like a boy or a girl like dressed in a certain way like eat your heart out like trying to like get the attention of the person they like yeah i mean that, and that's essentially it um it's a phrase that means you know like look at me and be envious okay you that know, makes it, sense yeah it's to invoke jealousy so as you know we've mentioned a lot of these phrases date back to way before our time um, and this one, we can go all the way back to the ancient Greeks. And in fact, the most famous ancient Greek, or well, one of the more famous ones, is Homer. Not Homer Simpson, but Homer, um, the author of the Iliad, he even references eating your heart um, to deal with your emotions. Okay. So there's one of his stories about um, Bellophon eating his own heart out because Artemis and Ares kill his children, and he's so ridden with grief. Um, he wants to eat his heart. And what I found most interesting about this, which is probably the reason I chose it for today's episode, is how important people have known that the heart was, even before like technology and all the, you know, the medical equipment we have, the test things, and, you know, even before that, the heart can be used for so many things. Like when your heart races, jealous you're nervous you're anxious you know they understood all that back then and they understood that the heart could tell you a lot about a person and they also understood how grief related to the feeling of wanting to eat okay and i I know that's even now a serious condition people talk about eating disorders or um even if it's not you know that extreme if you just oh my you know my significant other left me i'm gonna binge eat Right, you see like a lot. Of, you see like the rom com movies where when they break up, like the girl's sitting on the couch with like her pint of ice cream. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that's that's a rom com staple. There's always a breakup <laughs> scene, and then immediately in the breakup montage, there's a binge eating scene where the guy is eating and the girl's got the pint of chunky monkey or whatever it is. But yeah, so the the idea of eating to deal with grief. Okay. And grief, you feel that in your heart. It makes your heart feel heavy. You know. 
So they've they've had that relationship for a long time. And what ends up happening is as we grow, and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, like does the meaning change or do people change the meaning to fit, you know, their modern times? Um, In the late 1500s, we start to see how that gets transformed into, you know, eating your heart to deal with grief, to deal with it in silence. And then by the time you get to the 1950s, showbiz gets a hold of it and showbiz kind of turns it around and this is what i thought was most interesting was they turn it around instead of saying i'm going to eat my own heart like homer intended to deal with grief instead of it being something you feel it became a phrase in showbiz to mean the exact opposite they would say eat your heart out look at me and be envious instead of me feeling bad you look at me you be jealous you and f- you feel bad. Yeah, you feel So you kind of deflect. Yes. Okay, that's you interesting. feel that feeling, that emotion, that jealousy from everything I've accomplished or what I'm wearing or how I look instead of I am grief-ridden and my heart feels heavy and I want to eat my heart because of it. Hmm, that's really interesting how it kind of flipped, literally did a whole 180. Yeah, and I don't think that too many phrases that we've researched have been able to be used in that way like sort of the phrase is being used against itself you know it's it's showbiz is often and I don't know anything about show business but you know the way I've seen it portrayed in you know movies and TV it's like a very cutthroat industry right um, where it's very self-centered and very you know vanity driven and you want to make your counterparts feel jealous. You want to be the bigger star. You want to be the better looking person. And the more they feel like that, you tell them to eat your heart out. So I, I just think that if we're able to take a phrase that used to mean we're hurting and turn it around to put that hurt on somebody else, that it's in itself just shows the power language has and how evolving, you know, over thousands of years is, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And I, I think that's part of the reason we started this podcast. Like, we're both so interested. On it's how... crazy how these phrases evolve from, I mean, for the, some of them, the meanings change. Some of them go from literal to figurative or the opposite. Like in this one, like, it's does a complete 180 it's really interesting how people make such i mean obviously the power of language but it's the people it's how the people are utilizing it and how that carries through different medias yeah absolutely and whether it's you know from a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago sometimes the phrase can mean exactly what it sounds like and sometimes it means you know the opposite of what it sounds like I will say that we've saw we've saw a common common theme with all of these phrases today and all the ones in our past episodes. A lot of these date back to ancient Greece yeah. and Rome. By the way, if you're following us on Once Upon a Phrase, um, on Instagram, I mean, at Once Upon a Phrase, they uh, I, I I have a picture up there now of you know Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, and he's got that like crazy board behind him he's like freakishly explaining something and the joke was you know this is what your hosts look like when trying to find bigfoot phrases um and then i hashtagged it probably ancient greece 
so many of these go back to ancient Greece. It's really funny. And I don't know. I, th- th- well, this one for sure, you know, it's in Homer's The Iliad. Um, so that one a lot. But the ones that can be traced back to myths, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, I wonder if it really was in the original myth or if the original myth has been changed over time and now it's quote unquote from the myth because we put it in there right like afterwards. We, like like if people search for a connection and kind of made that connection versus sure. if the connection was there from the get mm-hmm. yeah well on that note I want to thank everyone for listening and remind you again if you're in the Chicagoland area or not um, please reach out to LT Elite Tax Services. They do everything from tax preparation to accounting to financial advice. You can visit their website at ltelite-cpa.com or you can give them a call. Either way, they will be able to take care of you. They're very experienced and they handle all of our financial needs. So (laughs) good enough for me, good enough for you guys. All right, don't forget after this episode, if you haven't already, to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with our weekly content. See you next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.